All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1, if you don't know where John is, just make your way about two-thirds through. Uh, find a book named Matthew, and then just keep heading right for a little bit, and then you'll find it. If you go to Revelations, you went too far. All right, turn around and go back. So uh, we are uh, six, strange to say this, I think the older I get, the faster time appears to be going. I've been assured that it is still the same amount of seconds that make up minutes and minutes that make up hours and hours that make up days. But it feels strange to say uh, that in in about six days we will be celebrating uh, Christmas morning. I think just saying this for some uh, brings anticipation and joy and and peripherally worship. I, I know for kids... Uh, the days are, are long, but, but the wait uh, will be worth it. I mean, they only have six more days of being good uh, in fear that Santa won't deliver on the agreement, right? And then they can spend six months doing whatever and then kind of come back around and be like, hey, hey, Santa, I, I worked it out, right? Uh, and I know, I know we adults, uh, we get excited about get-togethers and, and for some, some days off and, and food at parties being zero calories because uh, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? I'm pretty sure that's the way that works. And, and, and so, so for some, uh, the Saturday can't come here fast enough, right? Uh, and now for others, next Sunday uh, can't come fast enough, right? That, that, that just mentioning that Christmas is in six days kind of puts some of us in a frenzy uh, where we spend the rest of this morning just kind of fighting the focus and, and trying to spend our time here and not let our minds drift towards what life looks like these next few days. For, for some, the hours will be spent um, in gatherings and work parties and get-togethers, and, and some will, uh, will spend some time this week scouring Amazon. Uh, and then if that doesn't work out, you might have to do this old-fashioned attempt to, to shopping where you get in a car uh, and you drive to this building and you open their door and you have to go in and like buy stuff, right? I mean, who does that anymore? Um, there'll, be, there'll be wrapping to do, there'll be food to cook, there'll be plans to confirm, all while trying to like the people uh, who are living in your house who aren't at school like they should be and are eating the lunch that you had planned. Uh, so, so, so for this group, the hectic pace of the season threatens to rob us of the joy these days should bring us. And, and in fact, or perhaps the, the timing of this season is a, uh, is a reminder of, of pain that we work hard uh, to avoid. Because some, for some of us, gatherings can be awkward because uh, a specific person won't be in that room to to continue traditions. And sadly, for some of us, uh, though that person will, will never be in that room again. So, so these days can be hard and strange as you, you work through and prayerfully uh, that you do the work of leaning on the strength that God provides uh, through the Holy Spirit. And now, now I, believe, I say all that to say, I believe for the Christian, if you are found in Jesus, the fight, as with almost every single day of your life, is one where, where our focus and our devotion are geared toward putting our eyes on Jesus. Now, that, that, that maybe, maybe a better way of explaining that is by asking this question. As, as you consider that Christmas morning is in six days from now, uh, does your Christmas season have space for the gospel of Jesus? 
does your Christmas season have space for the gospel of, of Jesus? Now, now, in all fairness, uh, we, we can all have a pretty good Christmas without ever considering Jesus at all. Uh, we can do that. We, 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 can, uh, we, we can watch all the Hallmark movies. We can drink all the hot chocolates. We can, we can open the gifts. We can have warm fuzzies. And we can appreciate uh, this sense of, of, really the sense of appreciation for the people in our life and, and the chapter that, that we are currently in. And we can do that. Uh, and we can get to the end of next week and we can gather here uh, and we can shake hands and we can say, hey, how was your Christmas? And we can say, man, it was good. And we can do all of that without ever considering Jesus, right? Uh, that, that's easy to do. The consumerism, consumerism, yeah, consumer, yes, consumerism, sorry, my brain just melted. Um, the consumerism of Jesus can, can mask a lot of those emotions, uh, we can have a good Christmas without ever considering Jesus. And, and I think, honestly, it really does us no good to celebrate Christmas if at the end of it we don't or not, if we are not drawn into a deeper love for Jesus. And so, so what I hope to do this morning is just kind of provoke you. Uh, it's kind of just prod you into a thought that I pray you would be able to carry through uh, these next Six days. I pray you would have an anticipation of the significance for your celebration, which culminates on Saturday morning. And this great day where we celebrate God literally making his arrival. Uh, and so, so we celebrate God's love for us by the sending of Jesus to us. And so, so for that, we're going to go into um, the famous Christmas story as told by John. Uh, in fact, that's, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek because I, I don't recall there ever being a Christmas story uh, program presented or written uh, through the lens of, go- of John's gospel. Uh, there's no livestock, right? There's no mention of Mary. There's no mention of Joseph. There's all, all these things that we just sang today about how we can respond in, in song. You don't find that in John, and mainly because when John comes in, he is very pointed as to why he's writing this gospel. He just wants you to see that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants you to see that. And so he opens uh, and, and he gives us a different version of the Christmas story that, that we have grown accustomed to seeing on days like this, uh, in weeks like this in the church. Uh, and so, uh, and now, as I say this, what John is going to say in about 14 verses is actually a spot-on depiction of why this Christmas story is important to us. Uh, and so, so to see the significance of Christmas in these verses, you need to kind of see the context of the story that's taking place, which creates the reason for why this year is so, this time of year is so important to us. And so, so we go in John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. Okay, now I'm working us to verse 14, but I think starting in 1 is helpful to us. So, so he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you're like cracking open a book, and that's your opening line, at this point I think it's fair to say, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to carry, uh, to follow along very well. Because what in the world did he say? And now what he says is incredibly important. And if we will allow the Word to read us, I think we can 
walk through this in a, in a healthy and in a, in a way that helps us see Jesus more clearly. So, so now, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know, you'll note that there's another famous in the beginning, right? Uh, in fact, uh, what's interesting about this one that John is telling us is, is actually taking us even further back into the, uh, in the opening pages of our Bible. And so, so technically, this is the in the beginning before the in the beginning. And, and so, so, so John is taking us back to eternity past, uh, and he's declaring how in that time, and this is so important for us to know, that in that time, Jesus, referred to here as the Word, already was. That he already was. And it's so important we get that. But, but not only did Jesus exist in the beginning of, before in the beginning, uh, but he was God, he was with God. And not only was he in this intimate relationship with God, uh, but, but he was God. And this kind of opens our minds to the beauty of the uh, revealing two parts of the Holy Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are unique and yet in perfect unison with one another. So he continues into verse 3. He says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. All right, again, three verses in, you're kind of like, bro, I, I need you to make a sentence that I can understand, right? So he simply says this, all things were created through Jesus and by Jesus. And I think this is in large part, it speaks to these moments in the Gospels that we've been, we've been walking alongside in Luke that, where, where his he has this command over the winds and the waves and over disease and over and even death. And, and John says, the one I'm talking to you about, the one in whom I'm, I'm writing this gospel in hopes that you would believe is the one who created you in the first place. Nothing was made apart from him. And then he continues in verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Then he says this, and I love, we just sang these words, that, that, that darkness reigns no more, okay? So, so the light, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we get these three powerful things said here. That, that number one, Jesus is life. That you can't have life if you don't have Jesus. That's, that's the message of the Bible. Right? That, that Jesus is the way to have your dead body brought back to life again. There, are, there is no other way. So Jesus is life. We don't stray from this because it's the glory of the gospel. That my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. Then number two, that the life that Jesus displays, it shines and it reveals how we should live. It's the light of men. The, and, and the life was the light of of men, so not just as individuals, but but this gospel is extended to all of mankind. And then number three, that the light invades the darkness, not the other way around. Okay, it's imperative. It's imperative you get this: that the light invades the darkness, not the other way around. Now, no matter how hard the darkness pushes against the light, it cannot overcome. Can't do it. Now, isn't that typically the opposite of the way we write stories? Right? Think, of, think of movies, think of books, think of plays. That, that, that when the darkness has come and we craft these stories where, where darkness is invading an otherwise utopian-like setting. 
And there's nothing we can do to fight that darkness until the hero arrives. And, and, and so, but that's, that's not our story. That's not the story we arrive in. In fact, we, before Christ comes, we sit in the darkness because sin has enslaved us and we are without hope until the light shines and breaks through what the darkness would have us trapped in. The light invades the darkness, not the other way around. Now this darkness can attempt to wage war, but it's always in vain. Since, since, since it has no other option, it has no other option for victory. The gospel is a shining light which stands firm against the principalities of darkness. You get that? So, so when Jesus arrives, he arrives as a light and it pierces into the darkness and the darkness is like we, we can't compete. We can't stay in the same space where this light is shining. We have no power. So he continues. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, through the light, through Jesus. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so, so in the other gospel accounts, if you'll remember back in, I don't know, it was like 1999 when we started our, our walk through Luke, where, where, where the angel comes in and we have these, these um, altering episodes almost where we, we look at, uh, Jesus, and we look at John the Baptist. And that's all John, uh, the writer of this gospel, is telling us. He's not John the Baptist, but he's saying, hey, John the Baptist came in and he plays this incredibly important role where, where he connects the dots of, of prophecy and fulfillment. That's what, that's what John does. When Jesus arrives, he says, everything we were waiting for is here. It's in this guy. In fact, he says one of the most... Um, declarative uh, and helpful understandings of Jesus as, as Jesus is ba- uh, John is baptizing people, Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, hey, right, stop, 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 stop. Put your eyes on him. And I want you to, he says this, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the purpose of his life, to do that. To tell people, hey, this Jesus guy that we get to behold, we get to see with our eyes, we get to walk in the wake of his footsteps. He's our promised Messiah. So verse 9, John says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god so who's in control of making children of god god is he gave them the right. I, I've been listening to a series uh, taught at the Village Church uh, over the fall, um, Pastor Matt Chandler. And the, the series is called Unearthed, and I, w- I would commend it to you uh, because I think it's beautiful. I think it's been uh, encouraging and challenging all at the same time. Um, but, but, but 
what the series is doing is, uh, is trying to help us understand our identity in Christ. And then, now that's important because knowing who we are um, will have a direct effect on, on how we can and how we should live for the glory of God. And, and so, so he opens this series talking about how we all have a general identity, right? And we all share this, right? We are human beings. That's our general identity. We're not, we're not a cat. We're not a dog. That we serve as a general identity as human beings, right? Now he says out of that identity, there are ultimately, there are basically, let me say it this way, we are marked in two different ways. Either we are marked as children of God or we are marked as children of wrath. And you say, well, where do you get that? It's the Bible. It's in there. So we're either marked as children of God or children of wrath. And really, uh, John uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13 support this, right? As human beings, we are either children of God or we're children of wrath. Now, the role that Jesus has in our lives is the determining factor between which designation we're marked by. So, so he gave the right to become children of God. So, so as children of wrath, you are trapped in the darkness. You are. You are without hope. With, with, with all the strength that you can muster and all the ability you can, you can try to, to accumulate in your life, you will never be able to change yourself from the children of wrath to children of God apart from Jesus. But because of Jesus as a child of God, you have access to a Father who cares for you with the perfection and, and with provision that comes from someone who truly does care for you in the deepest of ways. Now, that comes through Jesus. Now, now I, I say all of that, okay? I give you 13 verses, really, to get to a phrase in one, okay? Because I, I need you to know. I need you to understand this, this, this line of thinking that we go because it's the beauty and the significance of Christmas here. Because So he says this in verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt among us. And we'll come back to that. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, there, this is, what I'm about to do is very unfair. Because there's a lot to unpack here. And we're just going to ignore a ton of it. Alright? There's so much that we can unpack in, in this verse alone. But, but what I pray, and I told you, I want to provoke you, I want to prod you into meditating on the goodness of God through the Christmas season. And I want to draw your attention to a simple phrase at the beginning of, of verse 14, or really toward the middle of verse 14, and dwelt among us. Because the, the danger of Christmas is that we will think this is the first time God does this. We'll be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is why Christmas is unique. Because he sent Jesus, and, 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 and he dwelt among us. And now, if we read the Bible, if we read it accurately, what we find is a God who is always desiring to dwell amongst his people. And you say, prove it. I'm glad you asked. I'll give you a couple of good cases. We can go Genesis God creates this garden, and before the fall of man, what happens is they walk with God daily through the garden. It says they were naked and felt no shame. 
God loved to dwell with His people. And then the fall happens, and, and then we move ourselves into Exodus, and, and God speaks to Moses through this burning bush, and, and Moses is he's like, he's like, he's like, God, you got the wrong guy. And, and God is like, no, you are uniquely qualified to go into the palace of Pharaoh because you used to live there, you speak their language, but that's not why you're going to go. You're going to go because I'm going with you. And so God walks with them, and then He brings the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and He says He led them with the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God is literally walking with His people. And He says as long as they can see that, they know where God is. And then God says, I want to take this another step. And He gives instructions for, for the tabernacle. And you know what tabernacle translates out to being? No? Good. The dwelling place. The dwelling place. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says the, the Spirit of God would descend, descend on the tabernacle and the people knew that God loves them. And He longed to dwell with them. Then we play out throughout the rest of this Old Testament, and it's highs and it's lows and it's, it's hard and it's beautiful. And, and then all of a sudden Malachi, God is silent for a couple of years. But now spend, spend some time looking at the, the book of Malachi because ultimately what God does, he says, I'm just going to be quiet for a little bit and I'm going to let you listen to what I've just told you. Okay? So for about 400 years, there's silence and then God breaks that silence with the angels coming to speak to some specific people. And one of those people is uh, Zechariah, who is John's dad, and he talks about the role of John. But then one of the other people is this guy named Joseph, who, is, uh, who will be Jesus' dad. And he says, your, your wife, as he's trying to figure out, how is this girl who we haven't hooked up yet, how is she pregnant? And he's trying to figure out the honorable way of divorcing his betrothed. And, and the angel comes up to him and says, hey, don't, don't divorce her. Because she's going to have a son. And then he's going to tell, the angel's going to tell Joseph specifically what this son is going to do. He says, he will save his people from sin. So why does Jesus come? To save his people from sin. And then they continue along and it says, you shall call his name Emmanuel. And in case we didn't have our lexicon out or our translator, um, all translations give us this description. I didn't add it onto your screen. Which means God with us. So there's this progression. And it's beautiful. And it's worthy of celebrating. Because God longs to dwell with us. And here's the thing. You might be great, but you're not that impressive. Not in front of the holiness of God. You're not. But out of His love for you, He sends Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. This is why we wake up on Saturday. It's not so that we can say, hey, let's get through the gifts so I can get back to bed. It's not, hey, let's get to the gifts so I can get to my breakfast or my lunch or, or the, the 15 other things I want to do today. We wake up on Saturday morning and we say God is good because He sent Jesus into our story. Because guess what? It gets even better for us. 
That because Jesus is who He says He is, because Jesus has done what He says He would do, we are gifted with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. A counselor who reminds us of all that Jesus has taught. An appetite, a, a, a person who has a taste of heaven and then just doles it out in bite sizes for us. The Holy Spirit who says that, that when we don't know what we should pray for, cries out to God. Now why is that important? Because we have been promised that He would never leave us he would never forsake us. Now, as I say that, as I say that, I know, I know the objections are like, man, you don't know what's going on in my current season, bro. You don't get it. You don't know how lonely I feel. You don't know how abandoned I believe I am. And the truth of the gospel is that God has never once lied to you. And He has sent His Son to be Savior and Lord. And He has promised His Spirit who dwells inside us. There are times that God speaks in silence. There are times God speaks in circumstance. There are times that God speaks in community. So what, what kind of a God would love us so well to dwell with us? To, 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 to this one who gave us the right to become his children, that through Jesus we have this promised spirit that we are never, we are never alone. So we get to celebrate in the spirit, and we get to mourn in the spirit. And both of those things are beautiful extensions of the love of God. So we, we can... So... Trying not to sound like a jerk, so let me let me edit while I go. It, it is so easy. It is so easy to move at a pace these next few days, which will affect your vision for the significance of these days. It is. So, some things can be good. Some good things can distract us, and some bad ones can distract us. And my prayer is that that we would do the work and we would allow our hearts. To, to move at the speed of God, that we would allow our hearts to understand deeper the love of God as He sends Jesus to be our Savior. We, we take this for granted much too often. We do. And so, so what, what we do in the church as Christians is we gather once or twice a year to simply point our attention to the fact that God is literally with us. That's the big, that's the big celebration of Christmas. And then in Easter... We come and we celebrate that the tomb is empty. Both of these things are vital. They're vital. So, so we come back to, we'll do, oh, holy night. Um, we come back to these words of, oh, holy night. I don't know who wrote it. It's my favorite Christmas song. Um, but it draws our attention to the night of his birth. A night that is not by chance. God doesn't create Jesus 
and send them then like, hey, we're out of options. We, this is our last chance. This is our plan B, our plan C, plan D, whatever. Jesus always was. God sends him. He says, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Because all of heaven and all of creation is eagerly awaiting the arrival of our dear Savior's birth. Then you say, why? Why are we awaiting this arrival? Because long lay the world in sin and error pining. We were trapped. We were without hope. We were without a way to be made whole till He appeared. And I love this next line because, man, if you are not undone in the presence of Jesus, you don't have an accurate view of Jesus. Till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices. Why? For yonder breaks a new and glorious mourn. And now the writer gives us a response. How do you respond to the arrival of baby Jesus who brings us and, and shows us our worth and yet brings us and shows us this thrill of hope that our weary soul knows that it can't break free except through Him. And he says, fall on your knees and then listen and hear the angels' voices because this night is divine. This night that Christ was born. It's easy to sing a song without attaching your heart to it. But this song is so significant. So we're going to sing that again. And then Chris will dismiss us at some point. Alright? I love you guys. I do. I pray for you often. And I pray for you this week specifically. That our hearts will be drawn closer to Jesus these next six days. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. And I pray we would not make light of the beauty of this season. I pray we would not make light of uh, this, just the distractions that could come. Father, I pray for our church that you would give us these opportunities. We would take, we would take these opportunities this week to speak about the goodness of your love. I pray for our husbands and, and fathers that they would be able to worship and lead their families in worship. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand as we close this out.
Christ. Would